Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and we thank you for joining us on this lovely December Monday. Now in the studio with us, it's The Times Chief Statistical Officer, Bill (laughs) Edgar. Good morning. And down the line from his favorite haunt in Rippenden, we were taking bets on whether he was in the conservatory or the kitchen. It's the Chief Football Correspondent for The Times, Ollie Kay. Which is it? Uh, to the kitchen, but I'm going to hopefully tiptoe back and forth. Um, so, um, I'll, I'll, when you were talking, I'll, I'll, I'll just get on with some domestic chores, if that's okay. Yes, please, feel free. Look, it always sounds great when you do the vacuuming in the background. Rather than the chore of listening to you. No, no, <laughs> Later on, we'll be looking at Southampton, who have lost their sparky. And I did not write that line, by the way. That was that was all, you know, the, the humorous stylings of Charlie, the producer. <laughs> There's also the latest in the ongoing Pogba-Mourinho rivalry, according to reports from one Duncan Castles of the Mm. Sunday Times. But we start with arguably the game of the season so far in the Premier League. Arsenal. This was also written by our (laughs) Arsenal supporting producer, Charlie. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know what you're suggesting. Uh, Arsenal came from behind to beat Tottenham 4-2 in a pulsating... North London derby at the Emirates, moving above their neighbours on goal difference into fourth in the table. Ollie, let's start with you then. Was it the game of the season so far? Well, I can't claim to have seen all 90 minutes of every game, and uh, like Bill, um, but um, but it's certainly the best I've seen in terms of um, intensity, drama, action, excitement. Um, quality was was very high. Um, and I'd say that the, the, the thing that made it such a, 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 a good match is probably the fact that Arsenal, having um, played so well for the first half hour, ended up 2-1 down harshly uh, at half-time and, and then had to raise their game again in the second half. I, I don't think it was a great Spurs performance at all, yet they were 2-1 up and only in the second half were they, were they truly overwhelmed. But it was a, it was, um, a brilliant Arsenal performance and I, I can't actually remember the last time I used that word to describe an Arsenal performance. So um, Charlie will probably keep this bit in, won't he? <laughs> I think we all agree Ar- Arsenal were, were exceptional. I'm not so sure that Spurs were too, which is why I'm not sure I can call this the game of the season so far. Now, there's a million mitigating factors when it comes to Tottenham, you know, for, from the injuries to the, the team selection to the fact that they had that, that huge game in, in midweek in, in the Champions League. But I was slightly 
disappointed with my man Poch and his failure to react to Arsenal's changes in the second half. Once Ramsey and, and Lacazette come on for Mkhitaryan and Awobi, you kind of know what's coming, right? The, the, mm. Ramsey's going to be between midfield and attack, and they're moving to, to a front too. When that happens, you, you normally take countermeasures, and it looked like they didn't do that. It looked like it was almost as if, you know, Ramsey had a, had a free run. And I don't know if, again, Dyer was maybe tired, but it looked to me like maybe after a few minutes you could have thought maybe I get somebody somehow tracking Ramsey or, or, or helping out so that their transitions aren't quite as quick as, as, as they turn out to be. I totally agree with that. But I, I would also say that the first half was, was sort of similarly one-sided in terms of Arsenal dominating for the first half hour. And it, it was quite misleading really that, that, that Spurs were two and up at half time. It was it was it didn't reflect the, the run of play or or, or or Tottenham's performance or indeed Arsenal's performance. But it was um no so I, I I would say they looked tired um after that huge Champions League game. But, but, but they looked second best all, all, all over the pitch from from first to last. Now I, I know a lot of the narrative has been about about those half time substitutions and, and um and, and how effective they were, which yeah, which undoubtedly they were. But I, I thought Arsenal were were the better team from from start to finish, really. And, and I don't think it was one of those dodgy first half performances that that you know the, the statistics tell you that um, Arsenal have been um, producing all season. I, I think they've. Um, I think that was that was by far the best um, forty five minutes of Arsenal I had seen this season. The first half, and then the second half was even better. So yeah, as we've mentioned, then Arsenal were behind at half time and then came back to win in the second half. They've scored more second half goals than any other Premier League side. Bill, how do they keep on doing this? Yeah, well, I, I agree with Ollie. Arsenal were good right the way through yesterday, but but overall this season, I mean, the figures are extraordinary in that Emery's been in charge of fourteen league games, and uh, that is the, the fourteen game run, the first fourteen game run where they haven't led at half time since 1928 so it's absolutely bizarre yet yeah, they've done uh, obviously overall they've done brilliantly so Is why just Arsenal that's just or? Arsenal Arsenal and any not just the first 14 games but any any 14 game league run they've not been ahead haven't been ahead at half time in the last 14 games it's not happened since 1928 and are they still because I know Cardiff had a similar uh, well Cardiff also haven't led at half time this season either in their 14 games just that Cardiff are at the obviously bottom of the table and bit more Arsenal expected. yeah exactly yeah um but, I mean, why is that the case? Arsenal certainly seem very fit, so when uh, opponents are tiring, perhaps later on, they, they're still going well. Also, you, you see Emery uh, on the touchline. He looks quite a micromanager. He's almost telling every player at every moment what to do, where to pass to, where to run to. And it seems that he he, he might well be micromanaging on the on the training ground as well. So, so what, when circumstances and personnel are changing in the second half, the players still know exactly what's expected of them. So perhaps that's uh, helping their performance uh, hold up in the second half or improve. Also, uh, oh, he's got praise for his substitutions. I mean, you could uh, equally argue that uh, Ramsey is a better player than Mkhitaryan and uh, it, it's better to have Lacazette on than Iwobi. Uh, obviously, the different players, we have Lacazette in the centre and Aubameyang on the left. He should have started with them, of course. That's, that's the alternative. And certainly he's made that sort of change a lot this season. Ramsey's come on and, and things have improved. So... Um, so again, that could be a be a, a bit of a factor in his the second half improvements. What do you make of the turnaround then, since Emery's taken over, Gab? 
I mean, I, I think last season is just largely colored by the staleness and stuff that, you know, everybody knew Wenger was leaving and I think inevitably that, that, that was a big part of it. But you can also see, I think, how he's just coached certain players and made them better. Um, Granite Shaka, who, who got so much abuse last year, is now the physical force that, that he was supposed to be when, when they signed him. Obviously, Lucas Torreira um, has had a huge impact uh, as well. But I also think you know, defensively, Mustafi is better than he has been. Um, there's Koscielny still to come back. If Koscielny gets back to his best, Papastatopoulos is a guy I really liked for a long time. All of a sudden, you've got a legit defense. Not 100% on, uh, on, on Leno. And in fact, you could argue that you know, Spurs' two goals, one of them was Leno's fault and the other one possibly wasn't quite <laughs> a penalty, the uh, the holding on uh, on, on Son. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think he's working with what he has and he's doing his work on the pitch. And I think it's good because so often we get managers coming in and, and we in the media lulled in this sense of stupidity by the... By, by the army of idiots in the punditocracy going on about how, well, well, he needs time to bring in his own players. And, you know, no. The first thing a manager should do when you, when you change manager is, can you do a better job with the players who are already here? If the answer is yes, then I might give you a chance. If the answer is no and you need to bring in 10 other guys, then maybe I'll look elsewhere. Oli, I know we sort of mentioned it already how huge a week it was for Tottenham with those games against Chelsea and Inter and then obviously the North London derby. So was this game at the Emirates just a game too far for them? In the cold light of day, being a bit more detached from it and a bit more objective about it, you would say it was a good week um, for Spurs and, and, and ended badly. But I, I, I want, well, uh, are we going to are we going to talk about the dive? Are we going to talk about the um, the, the, the banana skin, I think those are, the, the, those are issues that, that are um, perhaps um, even more unedifying than certain aspects of the performance, really, from a Spurs point of view. I think, I think the, um, the dive, had that been a, had, had that been a match-winning dive from, from Sun, I think that would have, um, that would probably have, um, well, probably have never have heard the end of it. Well, I mean, I think on, on the banana skin, uh, Spurs, and again, for those who, who don't know, a banana skin was thrown in the general direction of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Spurs have said that the fan in question will be will be banned, and I'm assuming all of us agree that it's the right action to take, and it just feels kind of absurd. We thought the 1980s were over. Um, before we move on to United, I, one last question. I'm fascinated by this Mesut Ozil story, and I'm wondering if Emery has a bit of a communications problem in terms of what he says because a week ago, he when he left him uh, on the bench against Bournemouth, you know, he said, well, this is, you know, physicality, intensity, blah, 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 because, of course, that's what Bournemouth are known for. <laughs> now, this week, Ozil's missing again. He apparently has a back spasm. Emery says he doesn't know where Ozil got the back injury, and he says he doesn't know where Ozil was. Why would you say that? I mean, even if it's true, so I, I don't think anybody assumes that, you know, Ozil's decided to go and play hide-and-seek and is hiding in a cupboard somewhere, right? Well, why would you... Because this makes it seem as if something's brewing. Couldn't Emery simply say, he has a back injury, you know, the, the, the doctors are confirming how he got it, and even if you don't know where he is, just pretend you know. Did you see what I'm saying Like here? like He's not helping himself in saying these things, but why not just snuff this out, you know, in, in its infancy? 
maybe he's just vague about about such matters. Maybe he sort of disregards anybody who's who's not fit enough to be in the 18. But it does seem like there is a situation brewing with as a more generally. Uh, I'm not disputing the, the injury, but it's um, they seem to play very well without him on occasions. Um, the fact that he didn't pick him at Bournemouth, the fact that they they played so well, and, and with that real intensity that that Emery wants. I would say that the fact that Ozil is on such huge wages and is such a, a distraction at times um, in terms of the media coverage and the endless questions about him, I would say that if he's not going, if, if, if he's peripheral to Emery's thoughts, then that is a situation that's going to come to a head in, in, in um, sooner or later. When you, you can't really afford to have a player who's nudging towards 30 and is a, a big superstar who's on huge money if he's not absolutely central to your plans and that's probably um, a situation we haven't had the last time either This season with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League it's just £8 for an 8 week trial Arsenal's next opponents are Manchester United, an iconic Premier League fixture taking place at Old Trafford on Wednesday night. Now, United came from 2-0 down to rescue a point against Southampton at St Mary's on Saturday. But the headlines have revolved around a reported dressing room row between Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba after the game, as reported and mentioned earlier by uh, Gab, uh, by Duncan Castles. Now, this is what was said, allegedly. Uh, You don't play, is what Mourinho is said to have told Pogba. You don't respect players and supporters and you kill the mentality of the good honest people around you you are like a person with a flu with a virus in a closed room you pass that virus to the others goodness well bill first of all what did you make of pogba's performance against southampton um well it was an, an odd mixture between the brilliant touches that nobody else in the premier league could make and uh uh, well, well, it combined with his strength <laughs> of holding on to the ball, so, um, and uh, two or three times he just kind of, it's almost as if he sort of, his mind wandered, started thinking about the cinema later on, and just the ball just, just drifted away from him, and just completely embarrassingly just uh, lost watching. it. He's, as you probably know from his Instagram feed, he went to go see Creed 2 oh. that night. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> So, um, but I mean, whether it uh, infects the the other players, we get you know his apparent. Uh, if that's a sign of a bad attitude, whether it affects other players, I don't know. I mean, it, you could certainly argue that uh, Mourinho's uh, attitude is more of a more infectious, more of a, a virus <laughs> than. Uh, <laughs> I first read this. I was wondering if it was Pogba's. actually it was actually Pogba saying this about Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, Ali. It's relevant that this is out, and I think it is relevant that, you know, Duncan Castles, who's who's the source of this, he is very close to Mourinho's camp. I, I think he'd be the first to admit it, and anybody who follows him on Twitter would, would, would know what I mean. The fact that Duncan's reporting this means that, presumably, this is something that Mourinho wants out there. Is, is, is that a fair assumption? And if that's the case... Why does Mourinho want it out there? What's his end game? What's his logic in this? I would imagine people want Mourinho to be seen as, as as the victim of Pogba's bad attitude, rather than, as Bill suggests, you know, potentially the opposite. I think it's it, it's reached the point with with United this season where there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame being cast around, a lot of people with different agendas, 
Um, and I think we see the agenda of people in or near the Mourinho camp with not only those words, but but the fact that the story has, has appeared. Um, it's not. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought it's come from a, a source that, uh, that, that was um, opposed to Mourinho. Put it that way, and I wouldn't have thought it was. Um, it had been run without um, the knowledge of people in Mourinho's camp. So that probably tells you all you need to know about just how bad the atmosphere is between those two players. How bad the atmosphere is behind the scenes at United. Um, it just. It just seems so toxic, so unhealthy and dreadful and counterproductive. And I know Mourinho has encouraged people to believe that, that he tried to make allowances for Pogba earlier in the season, tried to blame him in his favourite position, gave him the captaincy. But I, I, I just think the two of them need to look back on this spell and just think, rather than pointing fingers at the other, they've both handled it dreadfully. They both seem totally incompatible with each other. They both seem totally um, removed from what I would call Manchester United values. And it just seems, it, I mean, I know people are saying, oh, who, which of them should go? Which, which you know, whose side are you on? And frankly, I'm amazed if there are that many Manchester United fans who are on either side. I think the two of them deserve to have their heads banged together and then um, given their marching orders at the end of the season, if not before. I don't have an issue if this is what Mourinho believes and it's how he chooses to go and try to make Pogba, you know, man up or feel more responsible or motivate him. I don't have a problem with Mourinho saying this to Pogba um, in the dressing room, even in front of other players. You know, different managers are entitled to use whatever motivational techniques they choose. If this is how he gets a response, it's how he gets a response. But it just seems so odd that you would go and, and, and either Mourinho or somebody in his camp, because look, let's be clear on this. Duncan Castles was not hiding in the away locker room at St. Mary's. Um, he obviously got this information from his sources, and his sources have traditionally been close to the Mourinho camp. It just seems such an odd motivational technique to go and, and broadcast this uh, um, this out there. And you know, it does, I, yeah, it does seem to be counterproductive, and it, uh, it is a kind of reminder of. Uh, as what's been said in the past about Mourinho, how he's, uh, things really go well in his third season if he stays for a third season, in that um, he didn't stay for a third season at Porto and Inter, but um, obviously at Chelsea the second time, he'd won the league in the second year, but the third year it all fell to pieces, heading for relegation, fell out with the doctor, all the rest of it. The third season at uh, Chelsea, first time round, he started having a public uh, argument with Abramovich. And Real Madrid, obviously, it was fireworks going off the whole uh, his whole spell there. But in the third season, he was falling out with his own players again. What you were saying, it's, it's kind of you might do it uh, now and again, but he can't really expect that it's going to be uh, in in this case. He's going to get Pogba sort of reflecting on things and coming out uh, with a better attitude in the next game. Well, so I guess the big question now, Ollie, is whether Pogba plays against Arsenal. Uh, what do you think? Well, Mourinho seems to have sort of lurched backwards and forwards with this. It seems to have been carrot one week or stick the next week, and dropping him and and putting him on the bench, then returning, you know, restoring him to the team. The same with Sanchez. The same with Rashford. It just seems like he's thrashing around in search of some kind of formula that he's happy with. I think, to be honest, at the moment, I think he would struggle to field a five-a-side team of players that he's 
happy with or, or trusts um, or, or feels that are performing for him. The fact is, he's got to pick 11 players, plus seven on the bench, and it makes total sense that if, if, if the, as bad as Pogba has been um, on occasions, if, if they miss him when he's not there, if, if they're even worse without him, then, then it makes sense that he's, that he's in and out in that, in that manner. Same with Sanchez, but, uh, same with Lukaku, but I would expect him to be, to be dropped the game on Wednesday. I think for that story to have come out suggests a certain kind of um, tipping point in that relationship and you know, maybe you know, with, with the transfer window opening again in a few weeks is, is Mourinho wanting to get Pogba out in January? I don't know, I'm just speculating here but maybe if, he, if he's encouraging um, the board to, to pick between the two of them um, at this point, it could well be that but it, it certainly looks like that Mourinho-Pogba relationship is beyond unhealthy now I think it's 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 not really worked very well at, at any point you know, over the last two and a bit years but it, it, it seems toxic now and um, we'll have to see what happens next Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right? For me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, Bill Edgar said on this podcast last week that Sparky had lost his spark. What a wordsmith. He really is a turn of phrase. Well, now he has lost his spark because he's lost his job. Mark Hughes has been sacked by Southampton on this Monday morning after eight months in charge. Now, he won just three of his 22 league games in charge. That's a win percentage of just 13.6. Ollie, do you think we'll see him again in the Premier League? Um, well, I would say... 
I mean, Southampton's been awful, but he, but he did he did keep them up. I'm not saying he, he did a brilliant job because in the end they they sort of stayed up by default. But but he did keep them up, having been appointed late in the season in a, in a fairly desperate situation. Um, it's it depends what manage what what clubs are looking for. I, I don't think his, his previous record prior to Southampton it was bad at all. Really, I think his, his final year at Stoke was was definitely bad. But his his first three years or two and a half years or whatever it was were were good um so i, I don't think people should say he's become a bad manager or he's, he's, he's a, a terrible manager even though his results over the last two years have been terrible i i, I think he he could get a, a, another job in in the premier league certainly and uh, it probably won't be anytime soon but you know, people said the same about david Moyes after sunderland was he finished as a premier league manager you thought well that would be a bit silly he did a good job at west ham um, in the short term, Hughes can come again, but maybe he'll need to um, drop down to the championship for his next job. I don't know, but he, 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 he's certainly been a, a pretty bleak time for him. You've, you've got to admit that. What's the, but what I don't get about this, um, I mean, I can only assume that this is all part of some planned reshuffle and that there's a plan there because was it three weeks ago they sacked Les Reed, mm-hmm. who had been there for a long time and sort of had this sort of technical director recruitment role and, you know, provided the continuity. And some people even speculated that that kind of meant that Hughes would be sticking around because they suggested that maybe there was, that the two weren't on the same page. Now Hughes is gone too. So this suggests that they have a successor lined up and they have a very clear plan of what they want to do. Am I right? Because Southampton are one of those clubs that we always praise for being so well run, rational, logical people. Anybody? <laughs> well, they, they would be. Um, they'd be very unwise. I mean, I, I know. And if you go turn back the clock to what was it, two thousand and nine, when Mark Hughes was sacked by Manchester City, late two thousand nine, everybody was up in arms. Well, a lot of people were up in arms about the fact that they'd lined up Mancini behind his back. Um, but that that's professional. It's sensible to to line up somebody behind the, the manager's back if, if, if you're going to replace them mid-season. The same as just as Fulham did with, with, with Ranieri the other week. It's, it's sensible. If, if, um, if they haven't lined some, somebody up, um, that would be pretty alarming. But the, the links with um, Kiki Sanchez-Flores and, and with Paolo Sousa suggest that they've at the very, very least been um, casting around and making inquiries and, and that would be, that would certainly be the sensible thing to have done. Um, but you know, there are some there are some good managers of that level out of work. I would also mention um, Leonardo Jardim. But but whereas he, he's not he's ago, not gettable for Southampton, is he? Well, no, no. My, my, my point was going to be that two years well, ago, I mentioned Antonio Conte too. Well, absolutely nowhere near um, the same level. I mean, Jardim, I don't think it will go there. But my point was going to be that two years ago, Southampton would be one of the best non-elite jobs in European football in that people were going there and were then benefiting from that structure that was in place, benefiting from the, the club's overall philosophy, doing well, moving up quickly. Pochettino from Southampton to Spurs, Koeman from Southampton to, to Everton. And you look at them now, and I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, two years later, I, I don't think it's, it's a good club to, to go for any, uh, by any means. Um, and I do think somebody in Jardim's position like Cumin did what was it three years ago would have been well well advised to look at 
a club like Southampton if they were in the same position as as they were back then. But but they're not. It's a completely well. It feels like a completely different club. A club that's losing its way, and um, that's why I think they're going to have to lower their sights considerably. Bill, they they do have a problem with goal scoring that stretches back over a few seasons now, which isn't easy to solve, is it? No, no, that's right. It does go yeah, a couple of years, and uh, especially at home, they they've been averaging was less than a goal a game over two years. It's it's yeah persisted a long time, and, um, and as Ollie's saying, they rather than seeing their managers go on to better things, they've been sacking them. Uh, Pellegrino, Puel, and now Hughes. And yes, on Saturday, Gabbiadini and Austin were available. They just started on the bench. They put in uh, Obafemi to start. Um, so they they are kind of and you know very young. So they're they're really um, struggling to find anybody um, who scores with any consistency. Wednesday night, also see second from bottom take on second from top as Burnley host Liverpool at Turf Moor. Now, uh, Liverpool managed to stay two points behind City in the title race, courtesy of a 96th minute winner from Divock Origi in bizarre circumstances. Now, Ollie, you were at uh, Anfield, weren't you? Alison Rudd tweeted saying that uh, that goal would be shown over and over again if Liverpool won the title. Did it feel seismic inside the ground? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the scenes at the end were absolutely spectacular. I'd, I'd say the, the atmosphere for the second half, really, um, or as, as the second half drew on, from a, from a Liverpool point of view, the atmosphere, it, it, went, it went fairly quiet. It seemed quite resigned as, as the game entered, entered its closing stages. So it wasn't, it wasn't really one of those sort of classic occasions of, you know, the cop sucking the ball into the net. It didn't, it didn't really feel like that. This is December. I think if Liverpool are to win the league, I think they will need even bigger moments than this over the next um, six months or so. And, and they, they will need no end of seismic victories because to keep pace with Manchester City is going to be incredibly difficult. I think they're doing it impressively, but not with very much to spare. And I think if Liverpool are to keep pace with Man City, which, which is a, a tall order for anybody, I think they need to play better. They need to be getting more out of Salah, more out of Firmino, maybe more out of Naby Keita, because at the moment it feels like they're getting the most out of all of those other players, but but perhaps um, having to grind out results in some ways, um, because it's very hard to keep winning this way. Bill, they lost in midweek in the Champions League. We just heard Ollie. I totally agree with his assessment. This game could have easily ended in a draw. Um... If your glass is half full, then, oh, that's fine. So they're struggling now to keep up, but just wait till Firmino and Salah and all these guys play and Nabi Keita all play better. Um, or City play worse. And Although they have all these injured guys who are going to be coming back. But um, <laughs> do you think this is happening or Liverpool just kind of go regress to where they are, where they might be the second best team in the Premier League, but they'll still be many, many points away from City? You, is, that, expect- is that what's going to happen? <sighs> You'd As somebody who's a neutral, you'd, you'd, for those yeah. who haven't figured it out, Bill is a Manchester United fan, <laughs> so he's perfectly neutral in this one. He is I mean, contempt for both on, clubs. on the table says otherwise, but I think Manchester City have been massively better than Liverpool this season. It's just that they're all the big clubs have gone on, aside from Manchester United have gone on to a different levels. You've got five teams you'd all say are playing brilliantly this season, uh, the big six minus Manchester United. 
so Liverpool are playing well, but but Manchester City is just so much better than them. So well, so Liverpool can can be winning by smaller margins, one or two nil, and and on on points they're still uh, only two points behind Man City. Man City got fifteen better goal difference. So that you know that that's more of an indication of the difference in standard. Y- yes, you do expect Liverpool will fall away a bit. They've had a few. Um, lucky results recently I mean Huddersfield they should have lost I think they should have lost to Man City and Arsenal as well but but overall they've done incredibly well if you kind of put Europe to one side um it, it certainly they've they've had a, a decent you know a, a very good season um and as you as you say Salah's is you know nowhere near as good as he was last season nor, nor Firmino they've just got a much better solid field to them whereas last season they they'd get by on uh a couple of 15-minute bursts where they were totally irresistible. They'd have blown away any team in the world, and that was usually enough to win 3 or 4-1. Um, they're not doing that at all this season, but, but just structurally, it just seems much stronger, and uh, it, it's getting the results. Oli, our buddy Sean Deitch is not having a great time, second bottom in the table, winless in seven. He says that, the reason is that they've lost the eye of the tiger. I think he's a very clever guy. I'm sure he knows that there's many more reasons than that, and but maybe he's keeping it to themselves. What's your assessment? Are they because they spent a fair wad of money in the summer? Is this just regression to the mean, or are people figuring them out? Is there some? Are there certain individuals who who are really performing a lot worse this year than last year? Um, I think um, if, if you looked at last season. It was a very solid team effort from start to finish. Um, Tarkovsky and, and me were playing extremely well in central defence. And I'm not saying they are playing poorly, but they seem to just block almost everything that came their way. Um, but, but, you know, if you talk about the eye of the tiger, they were players who seemed to be absolutely playing out of their skin for all of last season. But, but, but the whole team did, and Jack Cork and others. It was just a very... It was a team playing at its absolute limit. Really impressive stuff. But I think even then, there were people who, who paid far closer attention than I do that, to this kind of thing who were saying, well, look, look how many expected goals they, that they faced. Yes, they, they've made all these blocks. Yes, they've, the, the goalkeeper, Nick Pope at the time, has made a load of amazing saves and they've won matches narrowly, narrowly that, that you would probably on balance expect them to lose. I think what's changed is, I mean, sometimes I think people underestimate the importance of momentum in football. I think a team that has momentum and is doing all of those things and doing them well and playing to the absolute limit of their capabilities, that's often sort of self-perpetuating. And then when that momentum goes, eventually, probably not helped by the Europa League situation at the start of the season, I think that can impact a lot. I think certain... I think opponents have generally found them easier to play against this season. I think probably combated Burnley's strengths much more comfortably. But I think you just see what happens when a group of players lose that momentum, lose that confidence, lose that sort of never-say-die spirit, and, and, and they, they they plummet. And you look at Leicester, a couple of seasons being the ultimate example of that. But, you know, it probably feels a long way down from seventh place for Burnley and and. Right now, they look certainly one of the three weakest teams in the Premier League. You, they, they don't look to have as much about them as Cardiff and Huddersfield, who are, who are scrapping for every point. Right. But Burnley, I know their defensive record is really poor, 29 goals conceded in 14 games, but there have been 
a number of games where they, where they, they could have lost by four or five. I mean, Joe Hart has kept them in games at, at times or kept scorelines respectable. Um, I don't think that's really been the case lately, but it's if anything, the, the, the goals against Colin probably flatters them rather than, um, rather than the other way around. Time now to find out how we got on in our weekly predictions game. This is where Gab and I both attempt to predict the results of five matches happening this weekend. Now, in the FA Cup on Friday night, I predicted giant killing for Solihull Moors, the team managed by Tim Flowers, who we've actually heard of. And I expect him to beat Blackpool, who are still owned by those rather unpleasant Oystons. Uh, Natalie, on the other hand, went for a Blackpool win because she loves the Oystons. Uh, <laughs> That's not neither, true on record. That's not true. <laughs> neither of us foresaw a boring nil-nil draw. No. And neither of us saw anything other than a Manchester United win at St. Mary's, but it, of course, ended 2-2. Because of the virus. What I did correctly predict was a victory for Arsenal in the North London derby, whereas Natalie foolishly went for the draw. <laughs> so that's a point to me. Uh, you actually predicted a 1-0 win, didn't you, for Arsenal with Mesut Ozil scoring the only goal? That's what would have happened if yeah. you played. Well, I, I, back spasm. I mean, Not my fault. a virus back spasm, let's say. Uh, and we agreed we would give you an extra bonus point if that happened. So given that he didn't even play, he's not even wasn't even on the bench maybe we should be taking a point off you not at all completely wrong anyway I correctly predicted a Celtic win in the Scottish League Cup final whereas Gabby went for a draw after 90 minutes now that meant we were all square heading into the Merseyside Derby and while Natalie thought the Reds would win by a goal I went for the draw <laughs> we all know what happened next football it's a cruel game Gav isn't it, it? it is more than cruel it's just patently unfair and <laughs> stupid and thank you Jordan Pickford <laughs> oh, my, my chum Jordan uh, it's now 8-5 to me this season All right, enough of this. How about some quick hits instead? Manchester City beat Bournemouth 3-1. Leroy Son and Raheem Sterling put on another clinic. But, Ollie, I was expecting great things from Gabriel Jesus. I wanted him to carpe diem as he was handed a rare start in Sergio Aguero's absence. Am I right to be disappointed? Yeah, it, it's it's not really happening for him at all this season. I mean, he, he had um, he's had a couple of injuries since he arrived at, at Man City, but the potential, the promise that, that took him there in the first place is obvious he showed that potential early on um and yet this season he just seems not to have um, really kicked on at all i think the world cup was difficult for him maybe there's a hangover from that um but i think whereas initially he was he was considered a, a very viable challenger to, to to aguero i think i think he's, he's i think the, the hierarchy has been reinforced really over the course of the last 12 months Okay, Chelsea overcome Fulham 2-0. And rather than talk about N'Golo Kante, because we've done enough about that this week, uh, let's talk about Ruben Loftus-Cheek, the scorer of the second goal. A sign of better things to come, Bill? Yeah, maybe. Uh, He not only scored the goal, but he he played a part in the the intricate passing move and the build-up to it as well. Um, He's probably fourth choice of Sarri's uh, advanced uh, centre midfielders after Barkley, Kovacic. And the other one is Kante, of course, if we just mentioned. <laughs> and uh, so he, he's got a, uh, a weighted place in the queue, but the fact that they're still in the Europa League and the Carabao Cup um, suggests he's probably worth his while sticking around. Natalie, one for you. Oh. I hear there was more than one Merseyside derby happening on Sunday. 
Please explain. I haven't had my Tranmere fix this year. <laughs> ah, well, lucky you, because indeed there was. In the FA Cup, no less, the National League North side. Remember the National League? We talked about that before, didn't we? Yeah, why it's no longer called the Conference. Yeah, no, Stupid. we don't know other than it's just renamed National League. North side Southport earned themselves a replay after one all draw at League Two Tranmere. A 59 places separate these two sides. The uh, semi-professional side then of Southport, whose uh, starting 11 featured an HGV drive a teacher and a professional dog walker fell behind after it's 18 not a real job is it <laughs> that player will be very proud to be like a, a professional and, dog and, walker and southport's a very posh place too isn't it kind of like think, where i don't know actually yeah don't know, it is yeah it is yeah, yeah. So there we go so that's why you have a lot of dog walkers, dog walkers. Uh, they fell behind after 18 minutes when johnny smith curled in his effort from outside uh, the area but with 20 minutes to go uh, Bradley Boris levelled things up with a super long range 30 yard effort which means we will have another Merseyside derby to look forward to this time at Hague Avenue and that's on the 11th of December can't wait mm, there you go okay Tony Cascarino is very excited by Manuel Pellegrini's attacking options he's got Chicharito uh, Felipe Anderson Andrei Yarmolenko Marco Arnautovic plus Manuel Lanzini and Andy Carroll to come as well and West Ham thrashed Newcastle 3-0 at St James's Park Bill are you as excited as he is yes it was exciting Newcastle left lots of gaps at the back of course but uh West Ham did combine very well. They like to go through the centre rather than the wings, I think, and it all revolves around Marco Arnautovic, who did play on the, the wing at Stoke, but he's now in the centre with West Ham. Uh, so his trickery and vision and uh, the speed of and finishing of Hernandez and also the the uh, invention of uh, Anderson, and it's, uh, it's great to watch. You didn't even mention Michael Antonio either. Oh, you're right. David Wagner is generally likable and relatively calm, but he freaked out big time at Steve Mounier's red card in Huddersfield's home defeat against Brighton. Ollie was early on, and he was disappointed, and he needed to win these games, and it was... But as I saw it, he was high and he was late, wasn't he? I mean, isn't that a red card? Yeah, it was, it was high and it was late, and you can certainly make a case for it being a red card, and I don't think he's got a great deal of cause for complaint, but I, I guess, was it aggressive, was it dangerous was it out of control i don't think it was really any of those things but it was high and late so i i think it was um i think he can't have many complaints but you will see other players get away with that type of charge or maybe get a yellow card gab one for you am i right in thinking i now have a third uefa competition club competition to get excited about absolutely i can see the excitement (laughs) in your face natalie that's right it's provisionally titled uel2 it's uh, been approved by uh by the uh uh, uefa's executive committee now i know people are gonna be like oh why do we need this well it's not really geared towards the big clubs and the big leagues who at most will have just one participant um it's geared towards the little fellas uh, the, the mid-tier leagues and so on. It makes it more inclusive. More leagues are are going to be involved. I think if you support a team in a bigger league, you're not going to get excited by this, but it could be something positive for the rest. And the interesting experiment, I think, is, and the inspiration comes from the Nations League, is is it exciting to have teams go and play teams of equal strength, equal level? Uh, can it become kind of like a local phenomenon where people in, in Bulgaria, for example, get excited when Turnava go and play Hammerby, for example? I don't know. We'll find out. 
I, that's all we got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guests, Ollie Kay, and of course, the magical Bill Edgar. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday after a full midweek program in the Premier League, including, of course, Manchester United versus Arsenal. Till then, bye-bye. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.